Um, hi friends, welcome to Womankind. Here I am in episode 52 with my guest for this week, Jesse Stagner, who is a comedy writer. So hi, Jesse. Hello, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. So tell us a little bit more about you and tell us, give us a definition for a comedy writer. <laughs> oh my goodness. Good question. Who really knows? Um, so let's see me. Um, I live in Los Angeles. Um, I, uh, I do, uh, I do stand-up comedy, I do improv comedy, and I do sketch comedy. Um, I'm currently working, um, for a television show, um, and, yeah, I want, um, I'm in the process of slowly but surely becoming, um, doing more and more professional writing. Um, I'd like to, um, become a television writer, um, but in the meantime, doing a lot of other fun writing, um, in other venues and ways I got to um let's see um yeah I write a lot of stand-up I wrote for uh the CBS Diversity Showcase a couple of years ago um I'm currently writing uh working with an artist and developing a comic strip so lots of fun stuff on the side uh in addition to sort of like pursuing the the LA dream which is a terrible cliche thing to say <laughs> and it's the only thing that came into my head at that moment <laughs> but I mean that's really what it is but yeah. I think for people that live in LA like there's a much more concrete like idea of what that is whereas yeah. I you know I'm out here in the middle of the country and maybe a quote-unquote flyover area and so I think we have a different definition here than what it is there yeah. like it's a real thing where you are yeah. and, I, and I think the thing that's so crazy um I was actually just talking to Jen about this mm -hmm. um yesterday about like when you live here there are all these cool opportunities that we know about you know what I mean whether it's like um making an improv team or getting to help um uh pitch jokes for someone or like all of these little small things that lead to like a bigger thing mm -hmm. and for us when we tell them to each other um, like when Jen gets an opportunity, um, to help pitch Joe, she just like, she just was in like a, a mini writer's room recently for, um, I can't remember what it was. Um, but it was this cool opportunity that when she told me, I totally had context for what that meant. Um, and you know, we can be supportive of each other and sort of know the definition of what's being said. And when you're not out, outside of this, when you're outside of this bubble, it all feels sort of the same. Um, which is good in some ways because, you know, we, you know, you're, you don't have to think about the intricacies of it, but also it's more black and white. Whereas like actually being here and trying to create a career in entertainment is when you're in it, there are all of these yeah. different shades of gray, yeah. right. Of like, um, these different opportunities that will have, you know, that build and then lead to other opportunities. But when you're not in it, when you're not in this bubble, it's like, you don't know all of those small little details, which is um, good in some ways because it all sounds great, but also it, it, it's hard to explain to someone that's not in it exactly sometimes what everything means um, uh, or, or the weight of something. Right. You know, when you get something, it's like, no, but this is a big deal because it means this, you know, right. that kind of stuff. So Yeah, like in L.A., there's a lot more choice, like – you know, in Buffalo, like, I've done improv here, and there's, like, one place to do improv, like, whereas in L.A., you have a choice of multiple places, and each one means something different. Yes, exactly. It's <laughs> yeah. a really good, that's, like, a perfect example. Mm -hmm. And before I lived here, um, I lived in Chicago, where I pretty much exclusively did improv, oh, okay. and it's the same thing. There were, like, you know, there were, like, three or four theaters, all full of classes and teams and mm -hmm. shows, and like you said, each one sort of was different and unique in its own way and meant different things to different people. Um, and it's the same thing. It's, mm -hmm. it's yeah. Nice. So yeah. is improv, of all the things that you do, what is your favorite thing to do? Or could you even pick? Or are they all kind of nebulous uh, and together? <laughs> yeah, I think, like, I've been doing improv the longest. I started doing improv when I was very young. So, um there's a, there's a familiarity with it that feels very at home to me. Um, it's how I met my very best friends. It's how I met my future husband. It's like, it's very, um, uh, for something that is all on the fly, it's something that I feel there's a comfort there. Um, and I just, uh, so, so that's definitely the one that feels easiest, not easy. Improv's never, it will never oh God, be easy. It's so hard. It's 
<laughs> yeah. But there's like an ease in my mind. There's a confidence that I have with it, especially when I'm on my stage with, on stage with my friends, mm-hmm. uh, whom I've improvised with for a decade. Mm-hmm. So, um, that would definitely, that would definitely be my favorite. It's, it's also the one that really doesn't lead to anything career wise. It's more of just a fun skill that you can use and apply to other things. Mm-hmm. Um, not just entertainment related. I think improv is so, so helpful in a lot of different professions. Um, uh, but it's not something in its own set that can really, you need to apply it to something else. Right. So as, as much as I love it, it's, you know, you're never going to, you're never going to have a, I guess there are a few exceptions to this, but you're never going to have a career as an improviser, right? right? You're never going to make money. You're never going to support yourself being an improviser. You're going to have to supplement that with other things or use your improv somewhere else. Right. So as, as much as I love it, it's also the least um, like direct value in terms of like money. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I know what you mean. Like I, cause I know the improv studio, like in this area, they have like business, cl- they go into businesses yeah. and do improv with them. And yes. like, I'm a teacher. And so I did that as a teacher and it definitely helps in that area, like thinking on your feet. Yeah. So lots of benefits from it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The TV show I work on right now, one of the writers is, um, she, when she found out, Anytime anybody finds out to improv, everybody wants to tell me about how, like, what their improv experience is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's great. And, uh, uh, and she was talking about how she is, like, very much a writer, mm-hmm. um, not a performer. And she, you know, just talked about, like, the benefits of, of doing that class and how um, she, like, like, a few weeks after that class, she had to accept an award for a TV show that she worked on. And she was able to just, on the fly, like, give an acceptance speech mm-hmm. in front of, like, a bunch of her peers and it's like, she, and she was like, the reason I was able to do that was because of this class. And it was just like, yes, of course. Like it, right. its whole purpose is to give you that, to give you that sort of wherewithal and that confidence to do that kind of stuff on the fly. Mm-hmm. Cause that's, um, that's very difficult. That's mm-hmm. for most people, that's not an innate ability right. uh, or skill. So, right. So because this is womankind, is there any way that gender kind of impacted your experience with improv? I don't really oh, have an answer for that. Okay. Yes, everything. I think everything. I, I think most of the jobs I've had in my life, I have been in the minority as being a woman. So, um, and that's true of improv that you were the minority. A million percent. Okay. Yeah. Yes. 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 Um, it's. I think. I think the longer I'm in it, the more it's equaled out. Um, uh, but. But yes, I mean improv for most of my experience has been, has skewed male. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, I think there's, I think that there are positives and negatives to things like that. Um, you know, when you're, when you're the only woman in your improv, in like an audition group, you're immediately going to stand out. So in some ways that's a benefit, right? You know, people are looking at you already and that's what you want when you're in an audition. Um, I think the negatives is you're going to, what happens a lot, especially in, when people first are doing improv, so like basic level um, stuff, we all naturally gravitate to things we're comfortable with, things that we know. Uh, and a lot of that is stereotypical of men and women. It's very gendered how we always think of men and women. So when I first started doing improv, you know, you do a scene and you walk on stage and you're automatically the guy's wife. You know, he automatically calls you a wife. And it's like, well, I could be, I could be your boss. I could be your doctor. I could be the president. But Um, but like people tend to fall into those norms, including myself. Um, and so, uh, you know, that, that can be hard to sort of like break out of when you're already doing something that's very hard, that's very intimidating, um, that, uh, that you're unsure of yourself. Um, and so that takes a while, I think, to like break out of and sort of force people to look at you in a different way. And of course, like that's not across the board, you know, not every improviser I was with that happened with, um, but that happened a lot. And that's, I think that still happens, especially with early basic improv is two people walk out on stage and the woman is the nurse and the woman is, um, the mother, uh, and the woman is the homemaker. And those are all great. Um, and those are all totally valid. Um, but uh, we are just as diverse in our occupations as, as men are. And that um, that doesn't come across necessarily right away in something like improv. So it's something you really have to kind of work at. Right. And that's a, like an improv, you can't really make conscious decisions. So your subconscious, like yep. things that you've been conditioned to understand, that's what's going to come yeah. out. Wow. Exactly. I never really thought about that in that yeah. way. That's 
That makes yeah. a lot of sense. And that's exactly what, and that's it. And it's not, and I mean it, like, it's not even that just men were doing that. Like, I would right. do that to myself. Like, we all revert to what we know right. naturally right. In, in our life. So when you're on stage for the first time and you have no script, like, yeah, I'm going to make myself his wife or whatever. Like, right. you know, of course I'm going to do that. So, like, it's not even like that men were doing it to me all the time. Right. It was like, right. that's just something we all are conditioned because of our culture. And that's fine, but we also need to subvert that in some ways um, and change that narrative mm-hmm. so that we all get to do whatever parts are, you know, we all have like a lot of options, you know? Yeah. And definitely. then our improv is better and it's more interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow. Interesting. Okay. So yeah. tell us about the TV show that you're working on right now. Oh, are you I, allowed to say? I talked a lot about it. Okay. Uh, I can tell you a few things about it. Okay. Uh, I work on, um, I work on the new, um, Shondaland show, uh, Shonda Rhimes, who created Grey's Anatomy, um, Scandal, How to Get Away with Murder. Um, actually, I think she actually was the executive producer on How to Get Away with Murder. I don't know if she. I don't know. Oh, I should know that. I should know that. I'm going to her. The creator. She okay. Uh, so she just signed. She has a new deal with Netflix. Mm -hmm. Um, so she has all these new projects coming out. It's all very exciting, and her first show is a limited uh, series, um, uh, sort of like an eight eight to ten episode uh, series about Anna Delvey, who is, she's been in the news recently. I don't know if you know anything no, about her. No, I don't. Who is that? Okay. So she, um, she, is a, she was a Russian-born woman who um, grew up in Germany. And then when she was like 23 or 24, she moved to New York. Um, and she scams like all of these hotels out of, thousands of dollars. She racked up these huge hotel bills. Um, and she, um, she committed fraud essentially. She also stole money from individual people. She did a lot of crazy stuff. There's a lot of articles about it. I'm sort of like giving you the, is she, does she have glasses? Yes. Oh, I know. I know exactly who that is. I haven't, I've seen a lot of headlines, but haven't read anything. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So she, yeah, she just was found, she was found guilty on eight of the 10 counts. Um, just a couple weeks ago. And then on Friday she was sentenced to four to 12 years in prison. Um, and because she is, because she was posing as a German heiress. So everyone thought she was like this, um, you know, this, she had this inheritance, um, and she was playing, you know, she's acting like she was this, um, very rich heiress and she was getting away with it. Um, so she'll serve her time, um, in prison in New York and then she'll get deported because she's not, um, she's not American. So it's weird because she'll be, she will spend all of this time here and it's this huge story and then she's just going to leave, which mm-hmm. is kind of crazy. Um, but anyway, um, Shonda bought the rights to um, an article that was written about her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's also uh, been in contact with a lot of other people around the the trial and the situation that I, um, I don't know how much I'm at liberty to say, so I'm not going to say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very exciting. Uh, and she's basically writing, um, you know, 10 episodes about this woman and this story. Um, and it's fascinating. It's so, so cool. I feel very honored to like have this small, like to be a small piece in that machine of a show because I think it's going to be great. So what stage of development is the show in right now? Or are you not about Uh, to say? We're just in writing. So how Netflix works, this is sort of, um, uh, a little, trick of the trade that's not even what it is it's just <laughs> so how netflix works i guess i guess this isn't true necessarily for all their shows but they uh they block shoot so what that means is they'll write the whole season and then shoot the whole season okay so that's a little bit different than um like network than tv network yeah okay. so you're writing and producing at the same time mm-hmm. which is great because then you can shoot everything in one location mm-hmm. It's, it's a, it's a time saver and a money saver. So we're just writing. So they're not going to shoot until, uh, production isn't scheduled to start till September. So we'll have written everything or the writers will have written everything, um, by the time they start. Mm -hmm. So yes, just the writers and Shonda, uh, Mm -hmm. she's the showrunner. Um, so there's just a, you know, the, the staff right now is very small, uh, and cozy, um, and then I think around July is when they start like, um, uh, production meetings Okay. and, you know, starting that, like, ca- you know, getting the calendar and mm-hmm. hiring who they want, mm-hmm. you know, and casting and all of those fun bits. Um, 
But right now it's kind of cool because it's just about the writing and there's no other thing to think about. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, they talk about casting a lot because everybody has opinions on, right. on that. But, um, but it's it's been a totally different experience from the last show I worked on because it's like we're all just focused on this one piece of it. And that's um, so cool. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's, I mean, in a way, I kind of, like it would have kind of had made sense for TV to be like that all along in terms of, like, production, but... Yeah, I don't... Yeah, <laughs> no, like... I mean, the same is true about, like, a multicam, right? Like, you write it, and then you shoot it all, like, on a Friday night for in front of a live audience. So, like, it's not... It's not never been done before. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, but, the way we watch TV is so different now. Like, yes. like binge-watching didn't exist, like, 10 years ago or 15 yeah. years ago. Oh, my God, yeah. It's crazy. And also, like... Like, our relationship with TV is so different, I feel like. Like, I feel like you said, like, binging has changed, like, how we interact with TV. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, because yeah, sure. like you said, like, when you binge a show, you feel, sometimes I feel, like, so tied to, like, what happens in a show. Because mm-hmm. you, you, like, are in it for, like, eight hours straight. <laughs> I mean, something. this, I, so I'm, like like behind on game of thrones because i was just never really that interested and then i felt left out when everyone's been talking about it so i've been trying to catch up yeah on all eight seasons and so i it's the only thing i've been watching i've been like binging it like whenever i have time and like i think about it all the time (laughs) it's so and i just like it's just crazy to think about that's how we consume i've not watched a single episode of game of thrones (laughs) I so mean, this, like this whole thing where everyone's freaking out. I am not affected in the slightest. <laughs> I thought I wouldn't be, but I had some FOMO here, and I was like, "All right, uh, I'll just uh, do it." Um, okay, uh, so now, same question that I asked you for improv: How okay. has being a woman impacted you in the writers' room on any of the shows that you've worked on? Um, well, I'm not a writer yet. I'm an assistant. Oh, okay, so I just. I know the day that I become a writer, it will be a big deal. So I want to make sure if I'm clear that I'm not a writer now. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Because <laughs> when I become a writer, everyone's going to know. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I am a writer. I just knew when I get staffed. Uh, anyway, semantics. Uh, how, is, uh, how is being a woman affected? Um, gosh, I think... Um, I think... I think for the most part, it's been good. I think similar to improv, you know, I think there are, um, there are definitely less women writers. So, you know, you stand out naturally as a woman and that's really cool. Although the two shows I've worked on have had, um, majority women in the staff of writers, which has been so cool. Uh, and I've been so like impressed with the women that I meet that are TV writers and they just like, uh, they're just really talented and funny and eloquent and I just like I feel very like I hate to use this term it's so like cliche but I just feel so blessed to have met the women that I've met who are writers because they are such great people to um they're such great they become such good role models whether or not they know that (laughs) uh they are and that's been um I feel really fortunate um that uh all the female writers I've met have just been like um so giving of their time to me and also just like women that um, are people you would want to emulate as, as women and as writers. So, so that's been really neat. I feel like, I feel like I've really, because there are, because the road for women is a, a little bit harder just because we haven't been in the TV writers room for as long, right? There just weren't women for a long time. Um, there's a natural, I've noticed like a bond that women have with each other when they're around each other of like, yeah, okay, we're doing it. Like, um, sisters are doing it for themselves. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's na- this natural, I can't even explain it. It's sort of an energy, um, that we bring to each other. Um, and just like last week, one of the writers on the show that I work on now, um, uh, you know, went up to me and the other assistant. She's like, you know, I, I meant to tell you this earlier, but please send me your scripts. Cause I want to read them. And then I want to be able to s- recommend you when I hear about stuff. And like, there's just something very, um, uh, what's the word? Like, there's sort of a team aspect of, of women that I've met in my industry. And that is something I've never really experienced before. It's, um, uh, it's really, it's really unique and special. So I think that that has, 
that's something that I wasn't expecting. Um, and I think also for me, before I started, before I got my first job in TV, I was in graduate school. Um, and, um, I, you know, we, that was a place where I was writing all the time and I, we were giving each other notes and stuff. And I felt really empowered to talk about the women in people's scripts. And I was able to, you know, it was really like freeing to be able to say, you know, your women are two dimensional or you don't have any women or, um, this woman is, is not how women actually are, you know, like it was really cool moving to LA and being able to like talk about women in a way that like promotes the way that they're written and, and helps, um, helps us create more, um, more interesting characters that are women in a show. So uh, I was, I was actually so far, I've been very like surprised and, um, uh, happy about like how being a woman has actually been really cool has been like a really neat part of being a writer I like to hear that <laughs> yeah, I kind yeah. of had a different expectation of what you would say to that question in terms of like being a woman just knowing that there have been like so many men in the writer's room for so long but I I love to hear that that everyone's out there supporting each other yeah there's a it's built in because we're because of that, like, because of this dis disadvantage, for lack of a better word, um, or this delay or lag time of us being in the room. Now, when we're there, we're all like, let's really support each other. Right. And I guess I wonder, like, it was probably different when, you know, there was like, one woman in the room or like a token woman in the room, yes. like that, I feel like would promote a lot of like competition and a lot of like, like, mm -hmm. I need to make sure that I stay here kind of attitude. Whereas Ooh, now where there's like, a percentage, it's so much easier to like build each other up. Right. And also, you know, I've only, I've only been witness to two rooms, you know? So like, I'm sure that there are, there are rooms that are more progressive and less progressive than the right. ones that I've been around, you know? And also like, I'm not in the room, you know, I'm an assistant. So I don't know when, the, when the door closes that, you know, who knows what happens, right. you know, on the other side of that, I'm really anxious to find out, you know, mm -hmm. what that world is going to be when you do get into the heart of it and you are, you know, breaking story and you are pitching, uh, what that looks like for women versus men. Um, but what I do know is both of, like I said, both of the rooms that I've worked for, um, most of the people in the room have been women. So the chances are it's, it's not going to be the one woman, it, you know, a woman probably isn't going to get pitted against everybody else right. if they're the one, obviously. So, um, yeah. Stand-up is a different story. Yeah, so now <laughs> let's get into the other things that you do, because you do stand-up, you've done a little bit of theater. Yeah, um, stand-up is really um, tough. Uh, I really, I sort of struggle with it. It's not something I do as often as I used to, partially just because I don't find the joy in it that I that I used to. It's also just like, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of, it's a hustle. It's like a real hustle. And like, I am so impressed with Jen for how she really, she really works that grind. And, and we're talking uh, about Jen O'Donnell, former guest on the show. The show. Um, one of my best friends. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's that world for me has been the most affected by being a woman. It's been like the most sexist place I've ever experienced. Um, it's been the place that I felt the most, um, I don't want to say unsafe because I feel like that's too harsh. Um, but, um, you know, like I've been to many open mics where someone's telling a rape joke or I've been to open mics where the joke is that, uh, is, is, uh, verbal or sexual or physical abuse. Um, uh, I've, I've, you know, being backstage of a show and men referring to you, um, because you are the only woman, uh, in, in derogatory things that are, um, that they think are funny that are actually just incredibly sexist and misogynistic, you know? So like that environment for me, uh, for any woman takes a lot of courage. So like, if you know a woman that does stand up, she is an incredibly brave woman, um, whether or not she knows it, she is, um, 
10 times braver than any man doing it because she is not only getting up there and being incredibly vulnerable and um, telling jokes that she's written herself, which who know you know, writing jokes is hard, um, but she's also doing it in the midst of, um, uh, of people being uh, incredibly, um, incredibly judgmental of her based on her gender. Uh, and uh, I feel like every female comic I've ever talked to has a story like that, at least one. And so that, that's a world that like, I can't really live in anymore. And I think that there, there are obviously women who are blazing that trail and they need to, because we need to keep breaking down that barrier because stand up needs to be a place where we all can, where you can be a man or a woman, you can tell jokes. Um, and it's not quite as, um, in my experience as like evened out as improv is, or even as, um, the, you know, the office environment of a writer's department is, um, it's still incredibly gendered. And, um, like I said, there are women that are, that are tearing those walls down and being part of that change. Um, and I am not at the forefront of that because it's not something I have, uh, the emotional wherewithal to do. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah that's, that's some heavy stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was definitely, I mean, like I remember, um, I just remember being at an open mic and, um, I was at something and it was just a bunch of comics talking and like I walked in and they were like so surprised that I was there because I was a woman, which is like so terrible. Um, and like, they kept, you know, like the queen of comedy, like maybe when she's done, she can give us a lap dance, like horrible stuff. Oh my gosh. They all started talking about, cause this was it. This was like peak Bill Cosby time. Mm -hmm. And they were talking about how all the women that were abused by him were lying. Um, and how, um, they all just want money. Um, and it was terrible. <laughs> it was really terrible. It was a terrible experience when all I wanted to do was like test out some jokes in a microphone. And like, I had to fight through all of this other stuff just to get on stage and do that. And for me, it's not worth it. Like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a big quality of life person and I don't have like my, my emotional, my emotional energy is spent on other, I choose to spend it on other things. Like, you know, I want to, I want to keep, you know, I want to, work on a TV show. I want to keep working full time until I get staffed. Like that's where I want to devote all my energy mm -hmm. at night. When I come home, I want to work on another pilot sample for the next time there's a job opening. I don't want to hit open mics until midnight just to like hear the same terrible derogatory stuff towards women. So it's like, it's something that like is a part of my life because I know that I can do it and I know that I'm good at it, but it's also not something that like I can, um, I can devote too much energy to because it, um, is deflating. Mm -hmm. Well, it's great that you recognize that, um, because that, you know, is something that can last for years and just forging ahead could break you <laughs> if you're not yeah. willing to go forward with it. Now yeah. from that, from like what I imagine we just talked about here, um, you and Jen created the ladies room. So that was a little bit of like a haven from that, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Jen and I met, um, we were doing an all-female show at Flappers Comedy Club, which is in Burbank out here. And um, uh, it's so funny because I almost didn't go because I just was like feeling tired. And I was just like, ah, there's going to be like 20 minute women on this lineup. We all get four minutes. Like, what a waste. And I went, and thank God I went. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know, it was just like, you know, you meet people and you just like have an energy and it was just like something about her. We, we had to stay till the end. So we went and got a drink at the bar together and we ordered the same drink and, um, there was just like something about her. And I had always, um, I always wanted to run my own stand-up show. There's a, there's a comedian named Beth Stelling who did comedy in Chicago for a long time, who I met there. Um, who now is incredibly successful. She's, um, I've heard done, her name before. You know, she's, yeah. She's, yeah. she was, uh, you can find her on the Netflix, the first season of the Netflix special, the comedians. She's done the comedy central half hour. She's written for a lot of television shows. She's just like so funny and so talented and such a, just like wonderful person. Um, and she had a show in Chicago with a couple other gals, um, called entertaining Julia. Um, Julia was the bartender. Um, and it was every Sunday night and it was just like, 
a show I went to regularly that was like just lovely. And it wasn't all women. It was, you know, it was just standups in Chicago. So it was all kinds of people. It was actually a variety show. I remember there were like musicians, there were like other acts too. Oh, cool. Um, but it was just something that like I always aspired to have. And I wanted, I was like, well, what would that look like if I did it? And, um, and I knew that I wanted to do it with another woman. And so Jen and I met and we just knew we wanted it to be all women. And, and then we did it. And it was just like, it was, it really was a haven. I think that's a great word. It was like this place where everyone was supporting each other and everybody was having a good time and everybody was there for the right reasons, which is like to just promote comedy and promote each other's jokes and to like be supportive um, and to not tear other people down, uh, or make other people feel bad so that you can get a laugh in your set. And, um, it's, it's like one of the coolest things I've ever done. It was like, you know, Jen still does the show. Um, she still produces it like once a month. Sometimes it's a little more cause finding space can be difficult. Um, and it's just like, it's like something I'm super proud of. It was like an idea I had and then it like is a thing now. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And it's a place, it's all female comics on the show. Yes. Right? And um, what did the audience typically look like? Um, good question. I feel like we, I feel like our audiences reflect kind of our lineup, which is we, we try to be um, as diverse as we can. So we like, uh, you know, we always, it's, you know, there's, there's always women of color on our lineup. Um, we've tried to get like, um, trans women comics, you know, anybody that identifies as a woman. Um, uh, I don't, I don't think we've been able to, I think we're in contact with a couple of, of women, uh, of trans women who are comedians. Uh, anyway, it's just all about like our lineup is we try to be as diverse as possible and we want, we want anyone that, that identifies as a woman to be on our show. And that's usually reflected in our audiences as well. You'll see a lot of women. Um, and you'll also see like, you know, you'll see men, um, men comics who like, cause we do an open mic before that's for anyone. It, it doesn't, it's not just women. Uh, and a lot of them will stay and, and watch our show and that's really cool. And cause we're not like anti-men. Um, we just, we know how hard it can be for women to get, um, time in, in the city and how a lot of, a lot of shows women don't do because of how they're made to feel when they're there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we just wanted to create something where women can feel safe and heard and honored and, um, and celebrate that. Mm -hmm. Well, that's awesome. I, that's, you should be very proud of that. That's a very unique thing. All right. So at this point, um, let's hear a little bit more of your story. So you can take that to mean whatever you'd like. So like a little bit more of your background, because we've heard what you do and all the things that you're up to. What haven't we heard yet? Um, let's see. Well, I grew up, um, I grew up like an hour east of here. So I grew up in a town called Sierra Madre, uh, which is in, also in Southern California. Um, it's off the 210 uh, for listeners that know Los Angeles freeways. Um <laughs> And I was an only child, and um, I, I mean, I think I, I mean, I owe a lot of my sort of creative pursuits to being an only child. Um, I had to entertain myself all the time, uh, and so um, I was always like drawing or writing or performing or. Um, you know, uh, creating, you know, recording my, my voice to write stories on a cassette tape. You know, I was constantly like, there was always something that I could make. Um, and that was a way that I really, um, like expressed myself. And it was something that like from very early on, I kind of knew I was going to be an artist in some way, even though I didn't really know like what that looked like. Um, and then I got to high school. I mean, all through elementary school, I did all the plays and every performance I was in, um, <laughs> for forever. And, uh, and then high school, it's funny looking back. I was just actually thinking about this recently in high school. I obviously, I did the school plays, but I also got into, um, I wrote for the school newspaper and, um, it's funny now the two things I did in high school are kind of the two things I do now, yeah. which is you know, screenwriting is sort of this weird combination of the two things that I've been doing since I was like 17, which mm -hmm. is crazy. Um, cause that kind of like was this perfect mix of like, um, 
like I became the editor my senior year and I like redid the design of the paper because I wanted it to be more visually pleasing. Like, of course, I did that. Um, it's very on brand. Um, at the age, I was like always sort of trying to find like what my creative, creative outlets was going to be. And it like sort of changed. Um, but it's still sort of the same at the same time. You know, I like went to college and I did theater there and that was when I started writing, but I didn't show anybody because I was too embarrassed. So I had scripts that like no one ever read, um, that no one will ever read. Some, I don't even know where they are. Um, and then I got to Chicago and so I moved to Chicago after school and that was when like everything changed. I took my first improv class, uh, and I was just like, this is it. Like, this is... I have found it. Um, and it was like shortly thereafter that I started writing sketches with this group that I was in. And, um, I have this like very, uh, I have this like very clear memory of, we were at this Halloween party and my group was like putting together a sketch show and I had written a ton for it. And, um, one of the other guys on the team, uh, was like, hey, I just, I don't know what we were talking, it, it was organic in the conversation. He didn't just say this out of the blue. He was just like, you're the best writer on the team. Like, you need to know that, that you're the best writer on the team. And I, it was just sort of like this, this like click in my head of like, I think this is the magic mixture of all of the things that I love is that I need to be writing. I need to be writing whatever, if I'm performing it, if I'm giving it to somebody else, if, you know, whatever it is, like, writing needs to be sort of the core of it, and that kind of carried me through, um, you know, years of, of sketch shows in Chicago. Uh, so many. It's so funny uh, that you, like, grew up right near Los Angeles and ended up moving to Chicago first. Yeah, uh, you know, as much as, like, I thought about, I think about that a lot, it's, I'm so glad that I did, because I really needed the distance from my past, like, I just needed to be on my own in a city, like figuring some stuff out, like mm -hmm. by myself, you know, like yeah. without sort of the expectation of, um, parents or people I went to high school with or, you know, cause I was so like, I just needed some, I needed to like, I needed distance. Um, and I'm, it's like very good that I did that. Um, and then I wrote this, um, pilot. I wrote a sitcom pilot. Uh, I like went online and I taught myself how to format it and I like bought final draft and I, you know, I like watched all these YouTube clips of like famous screenwriters talking about how to write. Um, and I wrote this pilot and then I talked to my friend, Eric, who's like still my friend now. And I was like, I want to shoot this. You have a camera. Will you shoot it with me? And he was like, yes. And so we made it and we cast all my friends and we edited it and we added sound and it was like the coolest was the coolest thing I've ever done. And that was when it was like, I have to go to Los Angeles. I can't, I can't keep making like, you know, stuff that everyone's ever going to see. I got to go do it for real mm -hmm. for like real time. Um, <laughs> and then I moved. So that's kind of how I ended up here. And then I got into grad school at UCLA and I studied screenwriting with like incredibly talented professors. I feel like so beyond fortunate that that happened. And, and then that got me my first job. So it all kind of like, I feel like Chicago was the time that I spent sort of learning how to be a writer and how to be a performer and what comedy was. So that when I got here, I really just like all these cool things happened um, that I just feel like so, so I hate saying it, but like, I feel so blessed and humbled that like when I got here, like, everything just sort of like caught fire and that's been so cool <laughs> after like years of just a lot of work. Right. That's awesome. I think it's okay to say that you're hashtag blessed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just hate the people that use it or people I wouldn't like in real life. Yeah, you know? I know what you mean. <laughs> that's, I've tried hard to find like an alternative word, like lucky doesn't really fit. Like yeah. sometimes I say that things are a gift. <laughs> but that yeah, also kind of doesn't yeah, it, fit. Yeah. It's like, you know, that's that phrase, like there's no luck. There's, it's just hard work meets opportunity. Yeah. 
And I hate that that's true because it's another that's like, true. oh, that's so tired. Yeah. That phrase is so tired, but it's true. Well, right. Maybe those phrases aren't tired because they are true. Right. <laughs> People just work hard and then opportunity happens. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We got it all figured out. We have it figured out. It's all fine. right. So let's get into the questions about womanhood. So, Jesse, okay. what does it mean to be a woman in 2019 to you? Ooh. Big question. Big question. Big question. Um, so, uh, lots going on in 2019 as a woman. Um, I think for me, um, I think the big thing about being a woman is recognizing that like womanhood is about equality and it's not about, um, liking everybody. It's not about agreeing with everybody. It's just about like living and let living and just like we all need to just like accept our differences and just sort of like let each other be who we are and not try to infringe on other people. Um, I feel like, um, women are often, uh, you know, can be pitted against each other in a lot of ways. I think we see it a lot in our entertainment as well. Um, although I think that's changing. Um, and I think that like 2019 is the time that we're starting to like mature and realize that like, no, you know, I can, um, I don't have to like every specific woman, but I am going to respect that we are, um, we are a force and that we are, we are bonded because we are women and that that is more important than, um, than anything else, Mm -hmm. um, that may, that may divide us in other ways. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I think 2019 should be, or at least I see it as more of a time of like, unification mm-hmm. um because i think that's what we need more than like anything right yeah i hear you on that like yeah being divided is not going to solve any yeah. of our issues that we right. have right right right, mm-hmm. right yeah okay good answer i like it <laughs> <laughs> so what are your favorite parts of being a woman and then what are the hardest parts of being a woman um, I think my, my favorite parts of being a woman are, uh, something Jen and I talk about a lot, which is like, they're sort of like, sort of like an innate bond with other women. Um, like some, not with every, obviously not with every woman you meet, but like sometimes you just like sense like a bond with someone and you, you're just like, um, like with Jen was a good example. Like we just got it and you just sort of click with certain women. Um, and that is something that's so special and unique about women that we can do that. Like that we can all like, you can talk to a stranger in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Like, you like know, the like, ladies or, like room. what? Like the ladies room. Like the ladies room. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, stuff like that. Like we, um, we can share, um, we can share so much because we, you know, biologically we go through so much that like, I think that that lends itself to, um, to, to so many shared experiences. Mm -hmm. And even if someone's a stranger, you can still have that pretty, pretty quickly. Right. And I think that that's, I don't, I don't know that men have that. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Um, but I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah. There's like an unspoken understanding that like, and certain like milestones or experiences that I think most women have. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember like, I remember in middle school, I had a friend who got her period and all the women from her family came over and they all had this big celebration. And it's like, yeah, that's like, that's what being a woman is, is like celebrating each other in these huge changes that like make us who we are. So, so that never happened for me. <laughs> I know. It didn't happen for me either. I'm using an example of somebody else yeah. because it sounds awesome. <laughs> Wait, I think I feel like there's a name for that type of party, but I don't know exactly what it is. Like, because there, there was a commercial. Yeah, it's like a moon party. Yeah, moon, something about the moon. Moon party. Like a cycle. <laughs> All right. I'm, what, if I have a daughter, she's in for it with that. <laughs> So then what is your least favorite part then? Um, I think like for me, the, my least favorite part is those moments when you see someone judge you because you're a woman, um, and you're automatically in a disadvantage, like, you know, just like little things like microaggressions, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you go into, um, you know, like you go into a gas station to pay and like the big burly guy behind the counter, like 
says something like sort of derogatory towards you, implying that like the gas, um, like pouring gas is going to be too hard for you. You know, like those little things that are said that even the person that says them might not even realize is because they're seeing you through the lens of a woman. And for that reason, they assume things about you that are negative, like dumb or small or weak or, or stupid or, um, oblivious, you know, and, and again, I think it's a, it's a, it's an example of a much larger problem. It's not just that one person it's, you know, I think culturally we've, um, for so long we were, we were seen as those things and those still remain. Um, and so those moments are really tough because they're not only hurtful, but they're the example of like this bigger problem. And in that moment, it's like, you're not going to spend, you know, again, going back to like the energy, the emotional energy that you have in any given day. Like I don't have the emotional energy to say to this guy, like, you know, <laughs> you're a fucking asshole. No, yeah, like, yeah. or you know, like, <laughs> Hey, you know, that's, that's hurtful. Right. Like, like in that situation, like, is it worth it? And like, yeah, the answer not. is like, no, exactly. The answer is no, but it still affects you in your day, right. you know, and you still have to like put on that armor every day right. and tell yourself that like, there will be men and women who treat you a certain way solely because you are a woman and you have to just carry on. Right. And that's so frustrating and hurtful right. and hard and, and something that like, I don't know if it's ever going to go away. Right. And that's a bummer because I consider myself um, a, an intelligent, um, hardworking person, and I think that I have a lot to contribute to society. And there are people who look at me and see that because of my gender, they assume the opposite, and that's really fucking frustrating. <laughs> yeah, that's not fair at all. No, and like you know that the a guy at the gas station or whatever, like you can't take on the responsibility of like teaching every single person who says something wrong, like, you know, the right way to look at it. And that's yeah. a responsibility that we shouldn't have to shoulder. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was like going back to that, like, um, when I was in that room of comedians and they were all talking about these women who were, who claimed that Bill Cosby had abused them and they were all like, those women were lying. And I like, I just like sort of like I couldn't help it. I was just like, no, most most women who who claim sexual assault are telling the truth. Like they've done studies on this. Like, yeah. like you know, yes, there are exceptions to every rule, but like most women who come forward and men. I mean, people who are victims of sexual abuse, regardless of gender, um, most like you know, most of the time are not lying. And I just like couldn't help but say it. And like that doesn't change anyone's. You know, that's not gonna. You know, nobody like. Nobody heard me. Nobody right. listened to me. But I, like, couldn't help but say it. And now it's like, oh, well, now I've expounded this energy on people that, like, now I feel even worse because I'm not being heard. Um, and now I'm even more frustrated. Whereas if I had just left, I wouldn't have gotten to do stand-up, but at least I wouldn't have done You know, so it's just, right. like, it's all this, like, weird math of, like, how much you're willing to deal with on any given day. Right. Oh, and that's yeah. tough. That's really hard. Yeah, like absolutely. all this extra brain work that you have to do just because you're a woman. It's hard. Right. And it's something that men most likely, depending on, you know, the position that they're in, most likely don't understand. Oh my God. I mean, they have to think about. Yeah. I, a good example, like it, it's like, so my future husband, my fiance, we were, he did a podcast for a while and he, there was this gal who also did a podcast and they connected on Twitter and they were going to be guests on each other's podcasts. And, um, I was like, okay, well, where are you going to record? Cause he usually records at our apartment. Mm -hmm. And I, he was like, well, I'll just record in the apartment. I was like, but you usually record in the closet, like cause of sound. Yeah. And he goes, yeah. And I was like, but she's, but you don't know her. Right. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, you're going to ask a female stranger to like come into your closet. Like, no, she's not, I'm not putting her in that position. Like I know you and I trust you, but she doesn't know you. And like, I, I just, you know, and it's just like, and we had a really good conversation about it where he was like, wow, I never even thought about it. And I, that's, and that's the reality is like a lot of men, you know, I consider my fiance to be like so incredibly, um, uh, respectful and, um, intelligent and such a like 
such a promoter of equality and all of that stuff. And that's just not something he thought about, not because he has any negative feelings towards women or he's not misogynistic or sexist. It's just like, oh yeah, you don't think about that stuff because right. you've never had to. Right. It's no, it's, you know, so there's also that situation of just like men that like, that's just not something they've ever had to think about. Like they don't have to think about if someone's going to walk them to their car at night mm-hmm. because they've never had to deal with that. So it's not a thought like, it's no one's fault. It's just like, yeah, this isn't a thing you had to deal with. So like, yeah, it's not in your, it's not in your like list. Um, and so that's, that's the other piece of like, also, I want to say educating men, but that feels condescending. I don't mean it like in a condescending way. It's just like introducing men to things that you and I think about that they just don't. Right. Yeah. And again, that's one of those things that like, is should not be our responsibility. Right. <laughs> right. But like, what, what are we going to do? do? Yeah. <laughs> right. Now, do you have a favorite story of a subversive woman or women or just like a topic in general that has to do with subversion? Mm. Here's a good one. Okay. Uh, um, so this is sort of a small thing that like was the best. Uh, so, I had my bachelorette party a couple weeks ago and, um, we, so Jen, obviously Jen came, there were six of us and we, I love drag shows. I love them. (laughs) Love. I love that they, you know, I love that they turn gender on its head. I love that it's a reminder that gender is a construct. Um, I love that it promotes just identifying with whatever makes you happy and whatever clothes you feel good in. Um, and there's just something about a drag show that just like, I leave always feeling good. Um, and so obviously that's what I want to do for my show party. And, um, so we went to this show in Vegas, um, at Hamburger Mary's. And, um, so the, um, the host, um, uh, was a drag queen who actually sang most of, well, all the drag drag I have seen has been lip synced, but this drag queen uh, her first number, she actually sang herself, which like, I'm always very impressed when people can sing cause it's very hard. It's very scary. Um, so whenever anybody does it, I'm like, you go, you get it. <laughs> um, so he said, she sang her first song, you know, she came out and did these great bits. She was just a good host. And as a standup comedian, like I know how hard that is and I know how scary it can be and how much time and practice it takes to be good at that. Um, and, um, at the very end of the show, she came out and she was like, um, she said, uh, you can love, uh, you can, you can love a man. You can love a woman. You can love someone black, white, brown. Um, you can love, uh, uh, gay, straight, um, or LGBTQA. She says something like that. And then at the end she says, just as long as you love. And it was like, so like it was, I looked over and like, of course, Jen and I both were like crying. (laughs) It's like two sentences, like puts us in tears. And it's just like, it's kind of what I said before about like 2019 being about equality. And it's just like, what a, like, what a beautiful reminder of just like what really matters is that like we love and accept each other. And like, obviously, I mean, that was weeks ago and I'm still thinking about it and how sweet and how like, how that's actually in a way subversive because it's, there are so many people and so many constructs that want to like tear us down or divide us or judge us because we aren't following a certain rule of what it means to be a woman or what it means to be a man. Um, and what it really should be about is just finding your happiness and following your truth and following the love that you have for yourself and for somebody else. And, um, it was just like this really beautiful moment that like, I'm, I, you know, I'm going to keep forever because it was, it, it just means so much, um, and something that we really need, but also like, I just had such an emotional reaction to, um, it was just really sweet and wonderful. And he's just like, or she, she, the, she, I can't remember her name. She was just like a really like beacon of light and, and good. And it was really cool. I like that story. And especially like how fitting you're at your bachelorette party with your best friends, which is a situation of love, which is celebrating your future wedding, which is about love. Yeah. It was really cool. And I had, um, one of my bridesmaids is a man. I always wanted a guy to stand on my side because I always wanted to, 
you know, like I always wanted to break those rules. Like three of my bridesmaids are going to be in suits because that's what they want to wear. And it's just like, what a great celebration of like what it really is about, which is love. It's not about, um, you know, fitting in certain lines because there shouldn't be any lines. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. It was great. <laughs> well, congratulations. Thanks so much. All right, so I'm going to get into my story of subversion, and it's just a quick one. So we are recording on Mother's Day today, um, and I can't stop thinking about the politician who was in labor and rode her bike to the hospital while she was in labor. Um, And so I'm going to talk a little bit about women giving birth while in office. And so I did some research, and I could only find four ever. Who gave birth while in office. Right. Okay. So doesn't that so, seem like such a small number? Like Tam Duckworth one of them? She is. Okay. So I have um, the first person. So I found Julianne Gettner. She's New Zealand's minister for women. And she was the one who oh. rode her bike to the hospital. Okay. Um, okay. And so at first, like I guess throughout her pregnancy, she really promoted on social media that she was still riding her bike and exercising and was posting pictures of it. And right. then she was like in labor and she was in, this must be a New Zealand thing. She was in labor at 42 weeks. Um, I, in the U.S., I think the cutoff is usually 40 weeks. But just oh, so, right. so she was at 42 weeks and she was like, oh, I'm in labor and then hops on her bike and rides to the hospital and then gives birth. So I think that that's incredible. Yeah. Um, and then New Zealand's prime minister, um, Jacinda Ardern, she was the second world leader like, the second, like, head of a country to ever give birth while in office. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, of course, I had to look up then who the first one is. And it's the Pakistan's late Prime Minister, Benazir Bhutto, who was in office in the 80s. She was the first head of government to give birth while in office. And that wasn't until the 80s. That was the 80s, yeah. And so then there wasn't another one that was, like, a head of state until New Zealand's current Prime Minister. And then the first U.S. senator to give birth while in office was Tammy Duckworth. So those are my stories of subversion, which I can't, there, there are four. Wow. In all of that I could find in my, I mean, I didn't do like super extensive research, but. Right. That's what I found. So happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. And let's make women having babies while they're in office a norm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, man, I wish, I wish for the purposes of this story, I was a politician and also pregnant. Right. <laughs> then I could be like, Just don't worry. Up in those numbers. I'll make it five. <laughs> um, but I mean, I guess that goes to show why maybe we don't have some laws in place that we should have in place because there haven't been, people making the laws that are in that position. So I'm hoping that will, you know, get the ball rolling on that. If we have women who are giving birth in positions of power, then more of a need and more of a trickle down from there. Yeah. Yeah. As much as, um, it's easy, I think to be, um, like really negative about the state of our country in terms of women. Um, but we, um, you know, we're only growing in numbers in terms of, um, the women that are, um, running for office. Uh, and you know, those conversions I choose to believe will only increase and, you know, and that'll happen more and more, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I'm just, I gotta believe that. Yeah, me too. I (laughs) have to believe it. Well, so we've actually reached the end of our episode now. Okay. Um, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you want to talk about? Anything um, you want to add? I'm going to talk a lot about periods, so I'm really <laughs> disappointed. I'm just kidding. I mean, you can come back and we, do, we can do a whole episode on that. We'll do a period episode. Let's <laughs> uh, talk about periods. <laughs> well, Jesse, thanks so much for being my guest on Womankind today. Thank you for having me. This is great. <laughs> all right so is there any is there anything that like my listeners can, can they like see your writing or your stand-up or anything anywhere um not really right now mm-hmm. we're in a 
We're in a big work working mode. Oh, a lot yeah. of a lot of creating mode. <laughs> All right. Um, but there's, there's some stuff on my website, I guess. Uh, and you can go to the ladies' room on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And some of my stuff should be on there still too. Uh-huh. Cool. All right, yeah. well, listeners, head there to check out some of Jesse's stuff. Uh-huh. Um, and if you're looking to get in touch with Womankind, you can find me on my website at www.womankindpodcast.com on Facebook and Instagram at Womankind Podcast, or email me at womankindpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye, friends. Bye!